This is Michael Osterlake, and I'm back again with Kiki Weingarten. How you doing, Kiki? I'm doing great, Michael. So exciting to speak to you again. Yes. Hi. Welcome back to our second installment of our yes. continued conversation on transpartisanship and other such fun topics. Right. Cool. Uh, I it was it greatly cool, and I had really so much fun last time, and it was so great speaking with you in part one of the interview. I learned a lot, and I had a number of questions. Of course, if you if anyone who knows me knows that's <laughs> going to happen, which I'm looking forward to hearing the answers to today. Uh, just one little thing. I always try and come up with a theme or a title for different things. And in this case, the interview. And what I was thinking, I was thinking that you said it best when you said about yourself that you chose to chase liberty. And I just, I love the image that that came to my mind with that. I love the phrase. Uh, I really like that. And I was thinking, should you ever decide to write a book about your work with the Liberty Coalition and what you describe as the transpartisan experiment? I think Chasing Liberty might be a great title, but that's just me throwing that in. Well, actually, uh, I, I like that. And interestingly enough, I would say that if you, uh, as an integrationist, I'm always looking to see how things fit together. Um, right. I, I have also been, if you want to use similar phraseology, chasing freedom, internal freedom. All my okay. studies in psychology are about internal freedom and wow. external liberty. So the inner okay. and outer come together nicely. Internal freedom and external, I'm jotting this down, because of course this is going to lead to more questions. And internal freedom and external liberty, that is, first of all, that's really beautiful, very poetic. I like that a lot. Uh, that You should jot that down. I'll email it to you after. Uh, my questions are, are pretty long, since I'm quoting a lot of what you said in the last interview. So I'll start, and if the questions are actually taking up too much time, I'll zip through and make them shorter. But I did want to repeat a lot of what you said, which were really, really great uh, thoughts, and which led to my questions. There are four topics which I'd love to cover today, and I hope we have time for all of them. One is your philosophy, including your thoughts on government overreach. Two is the Fourth Amendment and your thoughts on what you described as the security mindset versus the liberty mindset. Three is how your training, uh, training as a transpersonal therapist impacts your work in the transpartisan coalitions. And four, your larger strategic plan for the liberty coalition. Okay, so those are the four. Okay. Okay. Uh, I always over-prepare, by the way, so <laughs> I'm good if we don't get to I, it, all those years of teaching, always, and preparing and training and all of that. So, always over-prepare. Um, okay. So, my first question is, you know, I'll repeat back to you some of what you said. In part one of the interview, you talked about being, and this is a quote, as well as I could get it, a libertarian constitutionalist with a passion for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, as well as the spirit of both of them, and that you have strong concerns about government overreach. Some of the phrases that you used in addition to the above were your passion and mission to increase liberty and privacy in the USA, your wish to see the state minimized and social intervention maximized, 
your belief that threat of force to solve people's problems is not the best way to deal with issues, and your strong passions and beliefs in civil liberty, autonomy, and human rights. Could you briefly describe those phrases and how you see them playing out today or not playing out? And you mentioned two phrases which I found very troubling about the state of, of, the, of things today. And one of them was the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. And the other, you said the Bill of Rights is being diminished, which I really, I found so, so upsetting. Uh, could you describe those concepts, you know, what you said, and, and just expand on them a little bit more? I'll do my best to remember all those uh, things. Okay. So. I can repeat them to you. I typed them out. Cool. Okay. So, um, in terms of self-description, I describe myself as someone who has libertarian sensibilities. Um, okay. I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party, but I find myself in the strain of thought that created our country. You know, very libertarian okay. about the individual and self-governance. And... Um, maximizing the individual's ability to live their own life free from coercion from others. Okay. Um, that, you know, the state, in, in our case here in the United States, was created for a very particular purpose, or the government was created for a very particular purpose. If you read our founding documents, which is to secure our own rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay. You know, the government was not created for other purposes than that. Okay. So... You know, we can have arguments on the purpose of government, but I, I generally look backwards and say, you know, our founding fathers created it for this general purpose. And since we have not created a new set of founding documents, that's what I refer to. You know, it's kind of like okay. a, a gentleman's agreement. Okay. Um, and you know, if you want to change that, then you can. I mean, our founding fathers did give us the ability to modify the Constitution, uh, as right. an example. Um, some of our founding fathers thought we should, you know, have uh, you know revolutions irregularly to to, to change the, the, the government and the, really? the way we okay. organize ourselves. But you know, so I look at the Constitution as the organizing principles set forth by our founding fathers on how we should limit state power. And I don't mean states, but government power. That's what the Constitution is. It's very, it very strictly lays out what the government is supposed to do and how it's supposed to do that. Okay. And the Bill of Rights is a nice, you know, obviously an important addition to show what the government is intended to do in terms of protecting our, our liberties. Okay. Um, so, that, you know, that's kind of the way I conceive of my work in the policy world. All and right. I, yeah, you know, so as a somewhat libertarian sensibilities, a constitutionalist, you might call me a conservative constitutionalist, uh, you know, we can debate titles and stuff, mm -hmm. but I, I want to make some distinctions because I think these distinctions get lost in our overall political conversations. I okay. feel that way about government at the federal level. All right. But that does not necessarily mean that I feel, um, I, that I follow, follow from that in a conservative traditional sense in the way I think about life or I live my life. Okay. So, for instance, I consider myself pretty progressive in the, yes. in the American sense of how, you know, I want to see people live with one another, you know, much more inclusive, taking care of one another with care and compassion. Right. Um, you know, I'm not tribally oriented, meaning, you know, I, I have to be Jewish, but I think of the human species 
I have right. to be an American if I think of the human species, <clears throat> although you know, I start small and I work my way out. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, I eat organic food. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you're you're so. you're very progressive, you know, in your thoughts on how people can do that as well. Besides, and and how in in the healing arts and in right, the right. you know that you you're a very progressive thinker in that way. I you know we often talk and I laugh and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to have that conversation because <laughs> <laughs> I I you know I love the concepts that you bring up. I, I always get into the reality of how it can actually happen, uh, especially in education. The conversations yeah, that we've right, had right, right. on that level. You know, uh, another title. Titles are, can be quite limiting, but uh, like an earth crunchery conservative um, is, is one way to consider me. But you know, titles aside, so right. my, my vision is that the government at the federal level should follow the Constitution. It's pretty okay. clear what powers that you know the executive branch has, or Congress has, or the judiciary has, and there's some wiggle room in there because things have to be interpreted. As you know, as human beings, we're we're meaning making and we make of the world and words right. and such. Um, but the primary and the world and the world is changing, meaning the world is changing drastically. Technology is changing our world in, in huge ways that they may not have imagined. So it constantly has to be reinterpreted, I think. And, I, I agree, but it should be reinterpreted with the original intent. So okay. What I mean by that is like the Fourth Amendment, which is something work strongly to support right you know, back no. Ooh, that's my second question <laughs> that's my second question yeah. so okay say it and yeah. then we'll go okay once the you know the fourth amendment was created as part of the bill of rights they didn't have any ideas about computers and iphones and right. twitter and the nsa you know that wasn't around right but you can get a feel for what our founding fathers thought in terms of protecting property and privacy right know, and you can expand that to you know beyond that time period to say okay they didn't know about telephones but obviously they would intended for all means of communication to be protected right they didn't they wouldn't have known about iPhones but the same thing you know same thing our communications email should be protected our tweets should be protected maybe not our right are public but okay. you know our stuff should be protected and the okay. of government is actually to protect those things, our property, our privacy, our persons, our lives, our liberty, and not okay. to violate them. And a lot of the issues we work on, Patriot Act, as an example, is a prime right. example of the government doing the opposite of what it was created to do. Okay. Uh, I like that. I always like anything that protects people. So <laughs> that, for me works and I like that description very much. You mentioned the Fourth Amendment just now and you mentioned it a number of times last time and I have to admit that now I was able to go, oh yes, the Fourth Amendment. But um, that's not something I really knew a lot about and I really want to thank you and I also uh, want to thank Mark, Mark Potkowitz and thank you for that introduction. Uh, who really very patiently explained to me a lot of what you are talking about now, 
especially in the area of cyber issues and some of the legal issues that are arising in cyberspace today and and what you're talking about, the protections. And uh, you said in the last time that we spoke, you said that the bedrock principle of people in the Liberty Coalition is believing in the Fourth Amendment. And I'd love for you to expand on that, <clears throat> excuse me, for people who might not understand exactly what that means, just like I didn't. Well, let, me, um, let me actually read <coughs> what the Fourth Amendment is. Oh, you're kidding. I have it too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not okay. be violated, and no warrants shall be issued, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation and particularity. So, you know... Can, can I just throw in sure. two more pieces of, of the question, which is uh, which are things that you mentioned last time? You discussed it in reference to the reform of the Patriot Act and how after 9-11, some people were ready to give up some rights in order to be safe. You mentioned the security mindset versus the liberty mindset. Um, and I, I really want to say that I can vouch for how open you are to different mindsets by some of our earliest conversations that we had on the topic that I actually had no idea how differently we thought on some of those issues. Right. And um, again, that, that comes back to some of the heart head issues that we had talked about uh, based on, on personal experience, family history, etc. So if you could just talk a little bit more about what that is and how how to to really explain it and open up the concept to people who, like me, might have a different outlook based on, you know, personal experience, and by personal I mean family history, etc. Well, uh, so let me make distinctions between a security mindset and a okay. mindset. Um, well, I think that might be a good place to start. So okay. From a liberty mindset, it's the ideal, which is, I think, very American, part of the American uh, soul, that okay. we as individuals should be free to live our life with minimal interference from the government. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, freedom at, at its fullest, and I, or I should say mm -hmm. liberty at its fullest, because I want to make distinctions even between liberty and freedom, but it's liberty at its fullest. Okay. Now, as long as you as an individual are not using force or fraud against a, another individual, you should be free to do anything in, that you want. That doesn't mean that I should support you in what you do. Like, you might be doing something I disagree with, and I should be able to argue against what you're doing. But okay. I should not be able to use force to force you through the state or through the government to do something differently. And I, I'll give you an example. So, you know I'm a therapist. or trained as Yes. A therapist, as oh, you, okay, seriously? Like, this is... Question three. Okay. <laughs> as okay. You, as you've been trained to. And yes. And you know, I so someone so from a liberty perspective, I think individuals, sh as an example, should be free to use drugs as okay. long as they don't hurt other people. Okay? okay. That does not mean I think people should use drugs. And as a therapist who's worked with people with drug addictions and, and abuse issues. I would strongly encourage people to either limit their drug use to zero mm -hmm. or 
use it in more responsible ways. Because, you know, any kind of uh, um, uh, addiction, whether it's drugs or other addictions, uh, can in the long run or even the short run be problematic. But I don't think the state should lock you up because you like to get hot. Okay. Um, and that's just one example of among millions, but that's making the distinction, as I said, between you know your freedom to do what you want, but that does not mean I support you in that freedom to do what you want. Okay. And I think you know, so that's broadly speaking, liberty mindset. But in terms of um, things like privacy and the war on on uh, terrorism and stuff, that's what what Liberty Coalition really focuses time and effort on. Um, it's it's individuals to be unencumbered by the state, very similar to what I was just saying before, but in terms of their ability to privately communicate with other people, okay. or by their, their ability to organize and spend time with other people, um, you know, those, or their ability to speak out in a, in a political manner, should okay. not be violated by the government. And if the government does decide that it has to limit someone's free speech or has to limit someone's privacy, it better have a damn good reason to do so. And All right. Fear mongering is not a good reason. All right. Okay. So you know that's okay. so your communications should not be monitored by the NSA. You okay. Should not be spied upon by the FBI, unless you're a criminal or a terrorist and they have evidence to support their allegations. And you know they go to a judge to get a legitimate warrant. You know, right. you should just you should not just be able to be targeted because you're part of a broad population of people. Like you happen to be a Muslim, or you happen to be an anti-war activist, or you happen to be you know some other targeted group. You know that's from my perspective inappropriate for our government to target people based on an ideology, based on religion, or based on a belief system. They actually have to be doing something in a criminal or terrorist nature with evidence before they should be able to be targeted and, and you know, and, and such. Okay. That's okay, my liberty mindset. All right. And then the liberty mindset versus, uh, okay, okay. I, I hear what you're but, saying. But it doesn't, see, and, and the problem, and I brought this up in our last conversation, is that argument only goes so far. You know, I, I can talk to other libertarian types, whether progressive libertarians or conservative libertarians or libertarian libertarians, and they would agree with what I just said for the most part. But a lot of people operate out of a more security mindset, and they're, you know, that's not their first thing. They don't think okay. liberty, they think security. Right. So they're not going to necessarily hear my argument. Well, they might hear it, but they're, yeah, it's not where they're going to go in their mind. Right, 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 right. They take the liberty argument so far with certain people. Right. Well, I know that in our first conversation, I was pretty vocal about that myself. Right. Um, and it's been since then, I, I really look at it differently based on our conversations and based on some of the readings that, you know, you tweet. And um, it's interesting. I still, it's interesting for me to hear. Uh, but I understand, I do understand where people come from that, you know, security first mindset. I do get it. I definitely get it. Um, I'm not sure how much time we have left, so I'm trying to think like how. No, let's keep, keep going. Keep going. Okay, very good. 
Um, this, I love, you know, you mentioned being trained as a therapist and that is one training that once you get it, you know, unfortunately you can never go back again. <laughs> that's what I always say. I say, that's the bad news. Um, and depending on how you're trained, you, you just see the world differently. You hear things differently. You, you really do experience people differently in the best possible way as well. But I, I would love to hear about your, you know, you said that you talked about being trained as a therapist and uh, some of the descriptions for the way that you work that you mentioned last time that I'd really love to hear more about is you talked about deep listening, which I would love to hear about. Um, I'll, I'll say, I'll just give you a whole big list and you just choose whichever ones you want to talk about. I know, terrible, so, so me. Uh, the fact that each person's reality might not be accurate in the reality. Your training gives validity to people's feelings, thoughts, and the way they experience the world. You said that this leads them to, to transitioning them to see a bigger picture, which can help them. You use compassionate listening. I like that expression as well. And a felt sense, if you could explain that a little more. Um, and, and I noticed that one component of what you do, and I see it in, in the way that you interact, and it's really, it's really wonderful, is to educate people by assisting and guiding them in articulating and knowing, you because you had mentioned the retreats as well, that it's okay to hold multiple and here's here's the rub that a lot of people have a lot of trouble with and that you I think people need to learn that it's okay to do this but that it's okay to hold multiple possibly conflicting thoughts and feelings at the same time um, and then you said that you help people to understand where other people are coming from which sets the basis which sets a basis for a relationship for starting to work together. And you said, I love this, and I wish you could talk more about this, humanizing the body politic, if you could describe what that is. Um, and I'll just go through a bunch that I wrote down, and again, just pick and choose whatever you want, because I want to hear about everything. Um, when the defenses drop slightly, a third worldview can enter the conversation, which I thought was a great concept. And... Conditioned minds and the physiology of it. Um, and, and you talked about like what it means to decondition their mind. So they enter the discussion from a place of choice and freedom. And then one more question that I would throw in based on my training is um, how do you deal when you're in those rooms? So, for example, the conversation that we had, you asked me and I just told you exactly what I was thinking. Um, how do you deal with the the feelings that might be induced in you by by such contradictory contradictory to the way you think um, and believe? You know, feelings that are induced in you in the room. So, for example, if you're in a room and there are a lot of people that are ex feeling extremely aggressively about something, people who are enraged people who are sad, whatever it is, the feelings that, that are induced in you by them. How, how do you deal with that when you're dealing with these groups of people? And I know I just threw out about 400,000 things. So <laughs> what, whichever, just pick <laughs> right, one. Right. They, were all, they were all really interesting to cool. me. So I think what I'll start with is, is th my three reasons for doing the transparency work. Okay. Um, 
or three reasons. There's there's multiple different ones, but one, Ian, you mentioned this is to humanize the political process. Two is to find common ground, and three is to create space in the body politic for new ideas. And I'll go back to one and work my way towards three. Okay. Um, I favor debate and dialogue. Okay. I love it when people hold positions and are able to articulate them and debate ideas. And I mean a, okay. a real debate. I don't mean kind of this faux debate where you scream and yell and call the other person names, but like, you know, really debating ideas and creating the space for dialogue. So it's not just you wanting to get your thoughts, opinions out, but you're trying to understand the other person and where they're coming from. So creating a larger space for a conversation to occur. Okay. Both, I think, are really important and both are needed to humanize the political process. Because right now, what you mostly have is, you know, kind of characterological attacks from one group against the other, name-calling, you know, one group hates a particular other group. You know, it, it, right. it's not helpful unless you're trying to raise money or do talk shows. Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> that's a good know, way to put it. Right, yeah, right. I mean, you can raise money off that kind of crap, and you can have some semi-entertaining radio or television, but you really don't learn anything, and, and, and nothing really moves forward. So it's important in order to get to the point where you can actually have debates and dialogue is to humanize the political process, meaning you get people getting to know one another, spending time oh. together. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the ways we did that uh, is probably about a half a dozen transpartisan retreats uh, that we've done over the years on a wide variety of issues where we bring 25 to 30 leaders from all across the political spectrum on particular issues together professionally facilitated, um, Mark Gerson um, from the Mediators Foundation and Bill Urey from Harvard Negotiations mm -hmm. Project are two of our facilitators, do amazing jobs, and they, through a series of exercises, get people to know one another, you know, asking inquisitive questions of one another. Um, mm -hmm. And asking the questions, and this goes to another one of your questions, in such a way that you're actually curious not right. that you want to ask them so you can but you know get them. Oh, I know what they're going to say. I'm pre-planning pre my response to them so I can nail them on how wrong they are. But like actually asking questions that you want to know the answer. And right. you want to know the answer because you want to know this other person, which is different right. than like preparing your your mark remarks so you can zing them. Right. But right. Once once we start kind of humanizing the political process, um, and, I, and I must say we. This is not limited to politics. You know, I, okay. I don't think you and I have discussed this before, but I see the transpartisan work active in all areas of our life. Okay. No, we haven't. Um, I'd love to hear more. Yeah. And, and the way I see it is, you know, in politics, we tribalize. You know, we have certain tribes. I'm a Republican, I'm a Libertarian, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Progressive, I'm a Socialist, you know, whatever our little tribe is that we're part of. I'm mm -hmm. independent. We do the same thing in all areas of our life. I'm Jew, no, I'm a Christian, no, I'm a Hindu, no, I'm a Muslim. You know, we have our tribes. I, you know, I'm, I believe in this teaching philosophy. No, this is the right teaching philosophy. I'm a naturopath. Right. I'm an Ayurvedic. I'm in Chinese medicine. Uh, you know, I'm an uh, Ayurvedic medicine. I do Tibetan medicine. Right. I do integrative right. medicine. You know, we have our little tribes. And mm -hmm. we're right, and the other person is limited and partial or completely wrong in their understanding of the world. So, we, you know, all areas of our life, we for most areas of life, we tribalize. 
And I think it would do us well, not just in politics, but in other areas of life, if we took the same humanizing ideal into other areas. Okay, but mm -hmm. let's stick, stick with politics. So get to know one another, humanize the process. Once you do that, it's quite easy or easier to find common ground. Um, mm -hmm. There is a lot of common ground on a wide variety of issues. And I think I mentioned this before, the more interesting thing to me is creating space in the body politic, though. For yeah, ideas. about that. Right. Because I love you keep saying create space, which is it's almost counterintuitive because the image I'm getting is everybody dumping all of those words. And if we just actually think of the words like falling into the middle of a room, you would imagine that there's not space. And yet you the way you describe it is that it creates more space that they sort of fly up into the universe someplace into the cloud, as it were, literally. And then there's more space. And that's that's a fascinating concept. Because you would think, you know what I mean? Like, I'm finding that really interesting. Well, that interesting you, experience. you as a therapist, I, you, know, you must have either encountered this, or if you have to do, I had to do my own therapy. You know, I had to be in therapy when I was in yeah. therapy school. So I learned this experientially and also learned this as a therapist in practice when I practice and now as a coach, as I coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you help your clients, let's say you're working with a dyad, a husband and a wife, um, mm -hmm. and you teach them how not to be so defensive on whatever particular issue they're working on. Right. Know, and you understand, you know, why they have their defenses and it goes back to childhood programming and, you know, it all makes sense. But right. there, was, there are ways to decondition some of that programming so they're less defensive. When the husband and wife, or you know, these days, husband, husband, wife, wife, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, Whatever. Right. Can reduce their need for defensive responses. They're less reactive. They're more responsible, meaning they're able to respond as opposed to being reactive. There's a, a, a new thing can emerge out of mm -hmm. their relationship that would never have emerged previous to this. Because each one was locked into a particular way of interacting with each other. Like, this is mm -hmm. this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how a relationship is. I can't change. I can't change. How's <laughs> that? And, you know, I cannot change. You know, when, when they're locked into that, mm -hmm. that I cannot change. This is who I am. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly right. And I knew you'd get that as a trained therapist. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you kind of loosen that up a little bit... Um, my wife and I did landmark. And the language they use in landmark is you turn the other person into a rock. When you okay. when you don't make the other person a rock, you don't make yourself a rock. Um, you know, you kind of create space in your relationship for completely new things to emerge. Mm -hmm. You know, you're no longer expecting your other your partner to do X, Y, and Z because you know exactly what they're going to do. You give right. them the space to you know try new things out as you're giving yourself the space. And in right. trying new things out, like, wow, new ways of being in the, in the marriage or in the partnership can emerge. Right. It also, yeah. That's very interesting. So it's helping, you know, it's interesting. As you were speaking, one of the tenets of the way that I was trained was to have all of your thoughts and feelings. To be able to have them, whatever they are. And um, when a person can have them and just understand them and, and sort of observe them and, or or experience it, experience them. But when you understand that they are yours and you own them, it gives you freedom to suddenly step back in the way that you are describing and say, oh, this is me 
and this is the other person. And what you're describing is really, it, it's very interesting. I'm going to have to think about it. Um, very creative as far as reimagining the relationship, mm-hmm. which I believe is what, because then the relationship that you were at, you can now create new facets mm-hmm. for the relationship. It can go in directions that you may not have ever dreamed and actually expand. So, uh, if if I'm hearing you correctly, um, you know, and I'm visualizing it, I always visualize and, and I really am just sort of like a floating and and the paintings of Marguerite are coming into my mind, <laughs> you know, like all of the clouds and... Um, just this very and sort of floating but a very expansive way of suddenly being in the relationship and you are you are suggesting and saying that that can happen in the body politic as well that um it, okay yeah, okay Rudy, uh, you know i'll use a buddhist metaphor <clears throat> so you know given the freedom to be who you are express your thoughts uh-huh. your feelings your emotions but at some level, there's a recognition that those are temporary, they're fleeting. Like, okay. like in the Buddhist tradition, from my understanding of it, we make the mistakes as human beings thinking that our thoughts, feelings, sensations are us. But if you meditate right. long enough, you realize, well, that thought comes and goes, that feeling comes and goes, that sensation comes and goes, either they're temporary. Right. Um, if that's not us, then what is us? Okay. And that's, uh, we don't need to get in a big philosophical discussion. Right. I know. I'd love to <laughs> at some point. But I know because now I just want to jump all over that. But okay. No, no, no. <laughs> so, you know, it's basically, and then if we translate that into the body politic, I'm not suggesting anyone give up their identity. They can okay. be a liberal. They can be conservative. They can be a Republican. They can be a Democrat. But let's just for a moment hold on to it a little lightly, a little less tightly. You know, uh, imagine just for the moment that maybe you're not completely 100% correct on your understanding and interpretation of the world. Okay. okay. Not saying you're wrong, mm-hmm. not saying you should be a liberal if you're conservative or a libertarian if you're a socialist, you know, whatever. I'm not suggesting that, but just loosen up a little bit. Just as that would help you in your personal relationship with a spouse or a partner, it is also can be quite helpful in the body politic because you not only might learn something about another perspective, which can be informing, you know, because we're not God, so we can't know everything at all times. We're not omniscient. So, you know, right. we have limitations to human knowledge. We're not? Well, what? Some, some, some okay. of us are. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> right, exactly. But, uh, most of us are not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right, it would be nice, well, or actually, it wouldn't. You know, maybe just too, too scary. But um, no, that's that's very interesting. I think also, you know, just using this, um, I'm not try, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but people need. I think we need to understand that people need those, whether we call them labels or tribes, um, for for a sense of security. It. Mm-hmm. And personal security and and sense of identity. And I think that it becomes very terrifying to suddenly say, um, I'm going to, you know, if somebody's asking them to give that up, that that can be very, very scary. So, you know, to a person, because who am I if I'm not this thought, this idea? And you are suggesting something completely 
different. You can have all of that, but you can listen uh, openly and you can be open to what other people have to say, which is actually the way I was raised. Personally, I was raised. And uh, what I, I always, it was, you know, we, that's the way it is. Everybody's different. Listen to what they have to say. Learn from everyone. And um, very, very fascinating. I like how you said it. I don't, you know, the Buddhist stuff I know about. The meditation we've talked about. Right. <laughs> um, you clearly know it really well. And that that's really for another time, how, how it can impact other areas of your life. Let's speak a little bit more about the body politic because I'm sure. reminded of my one of my mentors, Jim Turner, who's okay. A really yeah, smart, you mentioned him. Yeah, really mm-hmm. smart guy. I learned a lot listening to him. Um, and one of his ideas, this is metaphorical. He, he was deeply involved in Chinese medicine. Um, okay. Not as a practitioner, but actually getting uh, Chinese medicine needles legalized here in the states is actually illegal to use them uh, until the nineties. Okay, I but didn't know that. Okay. Another discussion, but he talks about the body politic in a similar way as you think of the human body in terms of energetic dynamics. You know, Chinese medicine is all about the flows of energy. Okay. Um, if you think about the body, and he does this, if you think about the body politic that way, that there are natural flows of energy from the culture and society and, and, and governance and, and, you know, all floating in and into one another. And there are stuck points where the energy stops flowing. Just like in individual acupuncture, you know, they use the needles or other interventions to break up the stuck points, the energy flows freely. He says, and I agree, that we have the innate capacity as human beings to solve most, if not all, of our problems. I mean, you solve them and new ones emerge, but you can solve a lot of our problems. The problem okay. is, is that the energies which would allow us to you know, be creative and solve our problems get stuck. Mm-hmm. And the idea is similar to the individual, where you do an acupuncture needle or you do a, you know, a acupressure or some other intervention. What kind of interventions in the body politic can you do that releases that energy? And oh, I would say that's that nice. the okay. humanizing political process, finding common ground and creating space in the body politic are means, like acupuncture pricks, of opening up the body politic for you know the, the flows to come through and the new ideas and the innovations and creativity. Because human beings are pretty damn smart, wow. and we've done a lot right. of cool shit. Sorry, a lot of cool right. shit. Uh, no, it's true. And I'm just, you know, that's so cool. I'm trying to picture what, you know, in the way that, let's say, the acu, you know, the pressure points would be on an image like a, a a shadow image of the body, what that might look like on, you know, if we were to make some sort of a diagram of the body politic, like where those pressure points would be as a shortcut, sort of to create you know, based on your work, uh, sorry, Michael, if I'm giving you work to do, <laughs> but unfortunately, it's just, um, but to create some sort of a, like an infographic or uh, of the body politic and a shortcut, almost like little flashcards that people could look at and say, here's a place we can release X energy. It's for new ideas because it's really, I love what you're saying. I was making faces, which you couldn't see, but these like faces like, oh, cool, cool. Um, I, that is that is really, really great. 
Uh, that was interesting to me, by the way, that we can solve all our problems. I mean, that's totally for another conversation. Yeah, let me um, put that in quotes because, you know, I, I don't believe in a utopia because right. you can solve a certain set of problems and, you know, the world, life conditions change. A new set of problems will always emerge. So right. I'm not, I'm not suggesting, like, you know, if we did it my way tomorrow, the world's going to be a utopia. No, we're right. always going to have challenges as human beings on this, you know, finite right. planet. Um, but I think we can solve a lot of the problems. Yeah. But that brings in that brings in also your seal fit mindset and what Mark Devine says and what you you talk a lot about on social media and in general you live your life that way uh, and the grit. The idea that all of those might come up and new problems might might suddenly emerge, but if you have the mindset, the the solution mindset, that you can then, you know, take care of those and handle those as well. Um, so that's that's interesting. Meaning the the idea that yes, m- there isn't a utopia. More might come up, but you have the innate ability. You can train yourself to solve those as well. Uh, so those, that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, one, uh, a book author, Nassim Taleb, wrote the book Anti-Fragile. Yes, among yes, books. uh-huh. And, you know, it's one of those books you have to read and read and read and read and read. At least I read <laughs> right. like, wow, I finally get it. And you're like, mm, no, right. I don't, I need to read it again. You're like, oh, I finally get it. Again, <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think an important message that he teaches that we also teach a seal fit, but for the individual, is, mm-hmm. you know, we need to create anti-fragile, in his terms, individuals, institutions, and systems, which can be adaptive, which are adaptive, because that's in the nature of being anti-fragile, to ever-changing life conditions. Right. Right, interesting. Um, and that suddenly brings to mind, I had read about a book where they interviewed people who were over 100, 100 and change. And when they asked them, most of them had gone through very difficult situations as as children and young adults. And they had gone through either the depression or something like that. And it taught them that adaptation, the anti-fragile, it wasn't, uh, you know, the weakest ones, the ones that, that were the most pampered. We're not the ones in general in most crises and conflicts. We're not the ones to survive. And um, that's very, uh, I like very much what you said. That's very interesting. I have to think about that now. Oh, yeah. yeah. My walks, you know, okay. You'll be happy to know that I actually interviewed Derek Van Orden. The, uh, oh, you're kidding. I still, I haven't. Yes, I haven't read his book yet, but Excellent. it is like absolutely on my list. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But that's it, great. It speaks to what you just talked about. You know, the need to to create. You know, it's not that you want people's lives to be so overbearingly challenging and difficult. It's kind right. Of have technology, which makes our lives a little bit easier. Sure. But we also need to have crucibles and challenges. It's better to have been self-created or ritualized by the community than, you know, from the outside, you know, from the outside in, um, right. you know, that teaches us how to be better human beings, how to be men or women, you know, right. human beings, how to be adaptive and strong and live with integrity and honor. 
And, right. And, you know, well, because you do. You know, something will always come up. Something will blindside you. Yeah. Um, and the trick is to have the tools in place, which I'm really learning a lot about through SealFit um, and through some of the really amazing people on on Twitter. Also, Max Venator puts up just the most amazing tweets that I find extraordinarily helpful. And... Um, and, and really teaching you how to develop a different mindset and just the mindset of the mindset. So the mindset is not something happened ack, you know, like in the cartoons or in the in the comics, it would be like huge, like ack. Um, but it is, okay, now what do I do? How how do I take action? What and that is, you know, when I work with clients. In coaching, and I would love to have a conversation with you one day about, uh, you know, recorded or not recorded about the differences between coaching and therapy, which people like are very, you know, really mixing up, and um, and the idea of developing those those habits of being able to say, you know, first with help, you know, from the outside, and then. The, to develop the habit of okay now what what kind of a solution can I come up with what kind of action can I take and um, this is interesting and I very much look forward to hearing that interview with Dennis uh, with senior I just call him senior because I can't pronounce his whole name and by the way his scenes uh, he was in that movie Acts of Valor and his scenes were riveting. There was one scene that literally, I must have watched it like five times, just that scene. So I'm altogether looking forward to reading his book and, um, and really hearing the interview. So that's great. Um, I have one more question that um, I, I really want to repeat how amazing I find this next part of your mission and the model of the Liberty Coalition. And you had said that the larger strategic plan of the Liberty Coalition uh, is to create a network of network networks, excuse me, which I thought is just a, such a great phrase and concept, how you are proactive in reaching out to working groups or, um, as you said, reaching out to all my people and via Usterlink introductions, which is a great phrase and and I want to just say that you really are that generous and wonderful about it. And I want to thank you again for those. They've really expanded my life. And even just this new project that I'm working on, just like a whole new way of approaching it due to one of my conversations with, you know, one of your people. Um, and it's just a beautiful, generous way to be uh, really a, it's just wonderful, and I want to commend you for that. And you talked about being an incubator for other projects, which is also so amazing and generous. Um, and I just wanted if you could just talk a little bit about that, you know, the concepts that I just mentioned, the network of networks, and being, the pro being proactive. I thought that was very powerful because that was you taking action on – this is what's happening. Here's a concept. Here's an idea. Let me be proactive in getting these groups together. And I thought that's tremendously powerful. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. Oh, you're most welcome. It's it's absolutely well-deserved. I, I wouldn't say it otherwise. Okay. You're welcome. 
<laughs> I can, and I can actually give you um, a new project I'm working on, which is in the incubative state. Um, okay. Thinking through the network of networks and how this might play out, if that's of interest, as opposed sure. to something that's already done and. Oh no, no! I love to. I would love to hear it from the beginning stages because I'm at that place. Besides the fact that I'd love to hear it, and I think other people can really learn from it. I'm also at that stage with something that I've never attempted before. So, right, right, right. which I look forward to talking about uh, at a later date. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> when it's uh, more fully formed and it's public. Yeah, it's like um, so brand new. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. I play, because of my work with SealFit, uh, I'm really fortunate to, to both know and spend time with biohackers, right? Okay. Um, and I get to right. know a lot of people playing in the quantified self area. These are people who use various devices to measure various physiological functions. And okay. They, and once they've measured, they have a baseline and they do certain interventions into the physiology to improve that, improve their numbers. So, you know, you have some of these devices which measure, measure sleep or movement. Mm -hmm. um, you can you can measure cholesterol. You can measure insulin. Um, so, some of these devices are medical devices and actually require you to you know, go to see a doctor. But some of these devices you can buy over the counter. Um, okay. Uh, you don't need a you don't need a prescription. But right, like the Fitbits Fitbit, and think yeah. right. Well, those devices like the Fitbit and other such things are at a really immature stage of development in terms of where these devices will be heading in the next many years. Okay. You know, where a Fitbit might measure one or two or three things, you know, within five years, you're going to have a device that's probably going to measure dozens, if not hundreds of physiological functions at very subtle levels. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very interesting to me. I take that idea and I take my work in policy and I spent uh, about 10 years working on healthcare policy from 2001 to 2011. Okay, um, wow. So, and I spent a lot of time looking at healthcare policy. Yeah, um, that is a lot. And, and I started looking at both of those things together. So I, I, I know how, in many cases, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, um, mm -hmm. operates in such a way that it can limit the creation of new markets for certain new devices, drugs, supplements, you know, it, it's very backwards in its thinking in many cases. It's, you know, about 20 years behind the culture, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very expensive to mm -hmm. get through the FDA process, you know, right. hundreds of millions of dollars, five years, et cetera. And mm -hmm. my concern is that some of these devices, which are coming down the pike, you know, three to five years from now, the FDA is going to say these are medical devices, and you need to go through the you know five year five hundred million dollar process. Well, um, entrepreneurs in in Silicon Valley who are creating these things, they're you know they're not going to spend five years and five hundred million dollars. Right. Um, you know, it, it's just it, it possibly could destroy that new market. And I think right. That, and I'll explain what I'm going to do. Hopefully, do about that. But that new market, okay. I think, is really important. Because as someone who supports um, consumer empowerment or individual empowerment, I think the more information you as an individual have about your own health and the parameters of your health and baseline functioning and you know, various physiological parameters um, provides you important information to make good decisions. And if you do it in terms of you know, working with a healthcare provider, a doctor, or other healthcare providers, 
you could put together a really nice team and you could move your numbers in a really positive direction and improve your, and improve your health, wellness, and performance, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think some of these devices are actually going to be able to predict disease early on because you know, and, and, and when you get to the point where you have a disease and you know you have a disease, there are probably days, weeks, months, or even years where your body started adjusting itself towards that in, in, the, in that disease process. Mm -hmm. If you had some kind of measurement device, which could, uh, you know, knowing that the disease process has started like way early, then perhaps right. you could do dietary interventions, nutritional interventions, lifestyle changes, meditation, guided imagery, movement, some drug therapies, you know, a wide variety of integrated approaches to deal with a pre-disorder disease process. So you can nip it in the bud and, and hopefully... You know, not only move yourself back to normal or baseline function, but pr maybe towards optimal functioning too. That's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't want that market to be destroyed. So I've commissioned two friends. One, uh, Derek Connolly, is a policy guy, and uh, uh, Josh, who's a quantified self um, guy out in, in San Diego. He has a podcast, which I'm going to actually make sure I put in the show notes for this show. It's a great podcast. Okay. They are writing a paper on the quantified self and policy. And mm -hmm. and I'm doing this preemptively because I want that paper from both those guys, the really smart guys, to start a conversation between Washington, D.C. and all the regulators and policy people and legislators and all those people and Silicon Valley. Okay. So people can start thinking through and working together to not not destroy the market, <laughs> to not destroy the market. Right. Right. How do we facilitate to encourage growth? How do right. we you know, facilitate more products in the market? You know, in a safe and useful manner, but more products in right. the market, more empowerment of, of patients or customers or consumers, you know, however you want to uh, identify an individual in that space. Um, right. As opposed to reactively going, oh shit, you know, now we have a new piece of legislation that the FDA is now implementing. And we just destroy, you know, a new trillion, uh, multi-billion dollar market, and we just disempowered a couple hundred million people. I don't want to start there. I want to start like, like, let's fix this problem before it becomes a problem. Not only that, how do we make it even better? Like, how can we all get together, uh -huh. have a conversation, and make it even better than it could be? Um, and that's where my network of networks comes in, because I will. Okay. What I'm going to do once the paper's out is talk to all the groups I know across the political spectrum who would be interested in this space, liberals, conservatives, libertarians, progressives, and they would come to it from, for, for various different reasons. Right. Um, I'm going to talk to Which you had mentioned last time, yeah. that yeah. they don't have to be there for the same reason, which I thought is very powerful too. Okay. Exactly. Uh, I'll talk to tech friends who have you know financial interest <laughs> in this work. Right. Uh, I'll talk to my bio. Good place friends. to go. Yeah. Biohacker friends who you know really love using this equipment and this technology, mm. and they're kind of on the cutting edge. You know, so my network and networks hopefully, and it will grow because hopefully where words will spread and more people want to participate, and then we can create kind of a cool new transpartisan effort to support this new market and for the wow. of American health, basically. That's great. You know, what I like about that is you, you left out one tiny piece that I'd like to add that you do, that I see okay. you doing, is you, you're sort of a futurist. 
um, you know, it's not a matter of knowing, like we talked about earlier, it's not knowing everything and being, uh, but like knowing everything that's going to happen, but you, you take what you've learned, uh, you take what you see coming, you, you put the pieces together in a really terrific way and, you know, you, you play the role of the futurist as well. Well, this is going to happen this is probably what what the reaction will be. And let me be, again, I go back to that being proactive and let's head it off at the pass. Um, and let's prepare for that now. And uh, that is just great because you're doing this like so much going on in what you do that, you know, so many pieces that and I always tell this to people that I work with that. They have no idea how many things they do casually, just in their jobs that they know how to do, that other people find very difficult. And I'm hearing you say so many other things that are not casual things that you have the skill to do, and the intuition, and you're saying you're making it sound very casual, and that's so great <laughs> for you that it is, but... Um, that's such an amazing skill that as a, you really are playing the role of a futurist as well. Not so much playing the role, but you're in there and you're saying, oh, the, um, you pu you're putting those people, those people, you're putting those pieces together. This is probably what's going to happen. This is what I see happening. This is based on my experience. And you're creating something in advance of that, which is, I love that. That is just terrific. That's really, really great. Um, that I think that's something that would be so great for you to be teaching people how to do too. Well, um, I, I'm, I, I'm a prolific reader, as you know. Um, yes. And I, I really like the designation of a futurist. Um, I like to look backwards and I like to look forwards. Right, uh, right. And, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a paleo person, so I like evolution and biology and looking back at our answers, right. but also like looking forward. And one of the resources I use for that is the World Future Society. They have a great magazine okay. called The Futurist. And, okay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of thinkers who are th kind of thinking through possible scenarios for our future. Um, okay. I get, you know, a lot of great ideas from writers for that magazine. So I encourage you okay. to check um, out. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at that. I, d I didn't know about that. But it's really amazing. I it, It's just amazing what you said. And it's funny because you're talking, you know, you start with the Constitution. And I, I mean just about that. But as far as liberty, you're creating options here in a different field for people to have the freedom to create new products without being held back, for people to make economic, you know, decisions that will not be held back and to create uh, products for people that will really help them to live their best life. Mm -hmm. And um, that I, I, that's great. That sounds fascinating to me. I will tell you honestly, I, that some of that stuff scares me. <laughs> like, do I want to know all of this that's going on, you know, with, you know, in every, you know, that, that that's just a personal thing, though. I think the products are great. Um, and, you know, I have resisted putting on a Fitbit because I actually think I'll walk less. I walk so many thousands of miles that I actually think, like, oh, I don't even want to know because I'll just, I might freak myself out. <laughs> so, 
um, that that kind of thing. But well, that you know, is. And let me actually speak to that, uh, and not to your to, personal choice, but people should have the choice to use right. or not to use any technology. Right. And, you know, one of my concerns would be heading in the opposite direction where you are, not you personally, but we are required right, right. to use certain technologies to be surveilled, measured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. Which I would completely oppose. You know, people should right. have a choice. Right. There should be consent to the use of the information that's obtained when you use these devices. You know, so I'm a strong proponent of, of that freedom that you Right. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating. Again, you've really opened up my perspective as far as that whole, you know, the surveillance, things like that. These were things I, I really looked at from one, just from one place until we had those early conversations. And um, it, I just look at it differently. I, I look at it differently. I'll, I'll stop with that. Um, so this is really great. I, I, that is a great example. And I'm excited to see... I'm excited to read the white paper, and I'm excited to see what you, the cause and effect from all of that. That's great. Um, and then I really don't, you know, there's one last question, which is really just to, I would, I'd love to throw out there and discuss it another time. But um, that's, you know, I had thrown it out. I'm lately thinking about the fact that we're a knowledge and information-based economy, and everyone talks about it as being an economy. So what I find troubling is if it's in an economy, why does everyone expect, um, you know, the goods for free, you know, meaning all of the intellectual property that people just take or want for free <clears throat> and more troubling. And I, I do think this is a conversation for another time since people are very anti-intellectual uh, to the to the extent of bashing, you know, I see conversations on Twitter where people are like, "Why go to school and why go to you know, po grad and post grad and things like that?" And they're denigrating experts, you know, where they're saying, "You're not an expert. I know as much as you. I read three tweets and I read four <laughs> Facebook posts, and it's not even a joke. It's actually terrifying." Um, and everyone is suddenly an expert on everything and. Then you have people who are not discerning because they just don't know. They weren't taught to be, um, you know, I was taught to challenge the text, challenge authority, ch all of that stuff. Um, so, you know, I get, it's, it's really a very large conversation. But any thoughts on that, on, you know, the, the idea that we're a knowledge-based economy, but everybody wants and expects all of the information for free and a lot of the information just shouldn't be out there altogether. Um, a lot there. Let me just answer, let me pick a few of those things and we can save it for the rest of our yeah, third yeah. conversation. Right. Um, so, so uh, I have trouble personally with quote unquote experts. Okay. And I have trouble with quote unquote the people. Okay, hold it. Let me just ask you something, though. Okay. okay. Aren't you an expert on a lot of topics? No. I You're not. I know enough to be dangerous. Okay. <laughs> I've mastered no topic. Um, okay. You know, I, I, I'm hopeful that anything that I think I know a lot about, I still recognize that I have a lot to learn. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so is the word expert... You know, I'm having trouble maybe with expert. 
Well, um, so, so expert, I've spent um, 20 some years in the medicine world. Uh, okay. Integrative medicine, conventional medicine, natural medicine, you know, that whole space in medicine. Right. Um, and at, like you, I challenge authority all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the doctors who I've spoken with, they went to great schools, they're very well educated, they're really smart, but they don't know shit. Like, I right. don't want to go see them as a doctor because, you know, they're probably going to get me killed through, through their interventions faster than right. whatever disease I might have going to see them. Okay. Right. Okay. They I agree with experts, you on that. But I'm still, right. thinking, you know, I'm like, wait, I don't know if I want that kind of expert. Okay. Okay. But, okay I hear that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I completely understand what you're saying in terms of like, I wrote three tweets and now I know everything about healthcare and listen to me and take this, you know, this magical potion and, you know, right. doctors. Yeah, I, 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 right. I don't, any of those things I question. You right. Know, science is a process that's never ending. Um, right. A lot of the medicine that we have, especially you and I have talked about psychiatry, is based on mm -hmm. theories that have not been proven, yet we have a whole institutions that support unproven theories, and that's how we treat people. Uh, right. The same that is work. a great, by the way, that. I have to like take that out, and we have to talk about that 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 whole line, that phrase that you just said, spectacular. Okay, and sorry. It's the same <laughs> with physical medicine too. I mean, I don't know if you and I've talked about on the paleo diet. You know that there is the war against fat and saturated fat right. and cholesterol, based right. on some questionable science, but it set up policy and and you know now we have the problems that we face, and all of a sudden we're you know the sciences, not the science. A lot of the doctors are now saying, wait, we're wrong. Saturated fat is not as bad for you. Cholesterol is not as bad for you. In fact, right. you actually might need some. Blah, 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 blah. Well, right. that that adds to my concern about the experts, right? Okay. But you know, I still would be careful about people who claim to know a lot, who offer a different ideology. Like, oh, don't take that statin because it does X, Y, Z. You look into that and you're like, oh, I understand why I would not take that statin because it actually might cause more problems than it cures. But that does not mean I should listen to that person who says, oh, take this magic potion because it's going right. to cure your disease. Well, nah, yeah, you should have, you know, I, I attempt to come with the same skepticism, not always successfully, on right. all these things from the experts, from the masses, you know, from the outliers. You know, I tend towards the outliers. Okay. People on the cutting edge, but just because they're on the cutting edge or the outliers doesn't make that make them right. Right, right. I I meant even you know I meant in so many that those are great examples actually. Those are really good examples. I see it in the mental health field that people will tweet stuff and other people are retweeting it a thousand times, and I'm like, oh my god, that could actually damage people, you know. And um, I hate to be the one to say like, please don't do that because I don't do it. Uh, you know, and I hold myself back often. Um, you know, you don't want to be the troll, whatever that's called, because disagreeing with somebody online can be seen that way. But some of it is actually, and I have called people out who had, I think my concern is what you just said, people with the credentials, let's say with the MD after their name, and are are putting out online such bad information and like possibly dangerous 
that the wrong person can see. And of course, my sense of responsibility is just so overblown always. And, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's like, you know, I have to protect everyone. I have to save everyone. But so when I see that kind of thing, I have to jump, I have to jump into, it, it's really disturbing. And just the whole culture of not, not, admitting that there are people that know more than you about certain things. For example, let's use politics, let's use military. There are people out there who really know what they're talking about based on experience and and study and everything else and other people who are saying, and I see it, you don't know what you're talking about. I know as much as you because I read the New York Times today or, you know, that that kind of thing. I, I think it's it's we're treading in, in very like very dangerous um, waters. It's just, it's, I have real trouble with it. Real trouble with it. You know, um, Jim Turner, who I referenced before, he uh, yeah. a gentleman named Lori Chickering. Uh, Jim is from the center left, Lori Chickering's from the center right. They wrote okay. a book called uh, The Transpartisan Imperative in American Life. Okay. And uh, they use a, a matrix, I think uh, Lori Chickering and a gentleman named Drexel Sprecher created called the Freedom Order Matrix. And we can talk about okay. it another time, but yeah. I think it's telling for this conversation that, you know, it's important on the freedom side to question authority. You know, Absolutely. I, I think that's Absolutely. Really but, oh, definitely. But order is also important. Conventions are also important. Rituals are also important. Traditions are also important. They play a role in the success and fulfillment of our society and its perpetuation over time. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a mistake to... All you do is question everything, right? I think, and it's also a mistake to go in the opposite direction where you question nothing except all conventions, and, right? And there are times where you should question more, and there are times you should question less, right? You know, That's a good I, way to put it. And I think it fits in with what we're talking about in terms of education and medicine right. and stuff like right. that, right? Right. Well, we have to, you know, talk about education sometime because oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we you're, think so differently. differently. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. Well, that's because I I was like boots on the ground in the classroom. That's you know that's where I started. So when I see all of this education, the you know, I'm like, oh God, please. It's like, oh yeah, go. I challenge anyone to go into a classroom with those attitudes. I want to see they'll run screaming. Like, oh my God, save me. But that we definitely have to have that conversation. Um, another time but thank you so much this was actually you see and this is what happens so now there's 10 bajillion other things now <laughs> uh -huh, that i need to know about, about. Uh -huh. but really interesting and thank you michael once again for sharing your knowledge um i do consider you an expert in a lot of areas i i apologize for that <laughs> you know i'm sorry uh, but we could use it different yeah, no, we can use a different word like <laughs> that. You know, it, it's interesting. Maybe we need to come up with a new language, um, you know, and new words for it to describe what's going on today and, and possibly have, you know, different, you know, different monikers for, you know, this is this is what this person knows. This is, you know, where there is expert and authority now, there might be just different words that I think maybe we need to come up with a new language, new dictionary words. So who knows right, right, right. that might be next. So once again, so fun, so interesting. And thank you so much for your time. 
And I look forward to future conversations. Sounds great, Kiki. Great talk. Okay, fabulous, Michael. Have a great one. Bye.